Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. I'm Simone de Rochefort, senior video producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Brianna Wu. I almost said Democratic candidate for Congress. It's been like a freaking year. <laughs> Give me Executive some time director off, of rebellion. Simone. Come on. I need some time to I recuperate. Know. And Christina Warren. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> Senior, Senior cloud advocate Senior for Microsoft. Executive cloud director. Oh, oh. Senior cloud advocate at Microsoft. Wow. Um, what ha- What's happening to me? That's my question for you both tonight. What's happening to me? Uh, alien abduction uh, in brain scan, leaving it a little sub-operational is my guess. So I'm, I'm thinking that you're missing the snow and, and this is what you're doing to make up for the fact that you're not in the snow. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for bringing this up, Christina. This is a serious issue. Um, listeners, you might know that, of course, I am in Washington. Uh, I'll be spending the whole month in Washington. Uh, and today it is my great sadness to report that it is snowing in New York City. It's snowing really well. It's snowing really hard. And I am not there. And I'm not seeing the snow. I'm not enjoying New York City under a blanket of new fallen snow. The first snow of the season, maybe the only snow of the season, considering how climate change has been going for us these past few years. Um, So thank you, Christina, for understanding. Thank you, everyone, for your kind words. Um, am Am I devastated? Of course. Will I move past it? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I feel like snow was like as someone who grew up in the South, snow was magical for like maybe the first two years, maybe the first three. And then it's just a giant pain in the butt, uh, in my opinion. It is true that you live in Massachusetts and drive sport sports cars. Um, yeah, okay. I was going to say yeah. I was going to say the the big thing there, Bree, the differentiator is that Simone and I are not homeowners and don't have to shovel like walkways and we Fair. don't have cars. Fair. So when you take those two things out of it, I think that a lot of like the pain in the butt part of snow goes away. I'll also say the primary difference, and I know that that Boston has a good like mass transit system and whatnot but we don't it's terrible well well, you know okay it's good compared to many other parts of the united states which is to say it's still garbage Mm. but it's it's better than many other parts of the united states but new york's even when in its worst day is like the best in the country right and and they do a good job plowing and salting you know ice and whatnot so it's it's a different experience also it's not like i'd really be (laughs) using Public transportation, even as good as it is right now, I would just be sitting in my home, gazing out the window, maybe strolling down the block. But anyway, this isn't a show about snow. This is a show. (laughs) It's not about tech. Well, it could be if snow. If we get cyber snow snow. and public transportation podcast, that's Mm -hmm. what the topic is. Welcome to Rocket. It makes sense. Just go with it. Well, we do have an exciting tech-related show for you today. We're going to be talking about Cyberpunk, which released last week. <gasps> We're going to be talking about Apple TV Plus. Ooh. <laughs> and of course, I'm not even going to bother to keep this one a secret. Of course, we will spend our dessert segment discussing Taylor Swift's new album. Who do you think we are? We're Rocket. <laughs> it's what we do. All right, let's get into it. So, uh, one of the most anticipated games of this decade, Cyberpunk 2077, had unfortunately one of the messiest launches of the year. Um, <sighs> Bree, I know you are very much enjoying it, so I'm definitely going to let you get into that. But basically, what has happened, it, this game has been in development for eight years. And this month it came out for the uh, new new generation of consoles, which is now the current generation of consoles, as well as the PlayStation 4 um, and PlayStation Pro and the Xbox One uh, and the PC. And unfortunately, it's just been kind of a depressing process because especially on those older consoles, uh, the game has had a lot of technical flaws, uh, despite having been in development for eight years and despite also, CD Projects Red, CD Project Red's widely publicized practice of uh, development crunch in, in making their games. So people have been working really, 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 really hard on this. 
Um, and unfortunately, it's had a lot of problems. So players are reporting lots of bugs on PS4 and Xbox One in particular, ranging from things like texture pop-in to extremely, extremely low frame rates, like 15 FPS. Um, Digital Foundry, in a video that I watched today, reported that they were seeing frame rates on the PS4 dip into PS3 and Xbox 360 levels. Um, randomly exploding cars, which I actually enjoy. Player <laughs> 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 characters with a out which is really funny to me um those are the good and also some things that are not necessarily bugs but just kind of feel outdated about the game like poor driving ai uh poor ai in general um so there's been a lot of frustration with how cd project red has handled the launch uh in a statement that they released on twitter after the game got into the hands of uh players who had purchased it rather than uh reviewers who were given pc copies of the game, which seem to be working fine. Uh, CDPR said that players who were unsatisfied should seek a refund uh, and that digital buyers should do so through PSN or Xbox. Um, and this then became an additional problem for them because, uh, at least as far as I have seen, Sony is not giving refunds on the game because Sony doesn't do that. And you can't say, hey, Sony, refund people for our game and have Sony just do it. Um and there's actually sort of a, with, with the release of this game and it looking as rough as it does on these older systems right now, there's kind of a precedent. I've seen a lot of people who played The Witcher 3 at launch saying this actually also had a lot, at the time, a lot of graphics and performance issues. Uh, and now, at, from playing The Witcher 3 in 2016 up to now, I would consider it one of the best RPGs I've ever played. Um but I think there's a big difference here in that when Witcher came out on PS4 in 2013, I believe it was 20, it was either 2013 or 2015. I'm going to look like a dummy. Uh, it was that was coming out for our current gen. It came out in 2015. I wrote it down. Oh, I'm a freaking genius. That came out in 2015 for the current generation of consoles that had a long life ahead of them. And this game is coming out at a time when we're we're like directly in the swap of console generations. Mm-hmm. We have these new consoles that it works well on that have a long life ahead of them but then the majority of people who are playing it uh, who have consoles have the older consoles um and the game began development at a time when it was pre pre the launch of the ps4 the game was in development before the ps4 even came out uh so i think a lot of people are stinging that it does not work uh to even to even like the most like the graphics issues are one thing, but the performance issues, I think, are what's really upsetting people. Uh, where we are now is that CDPR has issued initial patches and is promising two more large patches in January and February. Um, And uh, yeah, I think my first big takeaway is that pre-ordering games is not a good idea. <laughs> and also that whatever internal leadership situation uh, with that with that company, like I, I have a lot of sympathy for the developers, but whatever internal leadership caused this the game to be released for older consoles in this state mm-hmm. uh, not good but we also no. have another uh point of view on this show and that is a person who's been playing it for the playstation 5 <laughs> a console on <laughs> and the xbox one um, or, and, and the xbox series x oh yeah you've been playing it too i have so ah. so i i really i don't want to minimize any issue you've just talked about uh simone because this game has crashed on me at least 40 times uh, in the probably 30 hours I've played it. Um, you'll be walking to a mission. It will just straight up crash. I've had missions bugged. Um, and when I say crash, like the entire engine crashes and you have to reboot and then go back to your last save point. It is maddening and it absolutely should not have been shipped in this state. Um, I do want to just add to it that I, I genuinely deeply believe this is the best video game story we've had since Mass Effect 2, which is an incredibly high bar. I mean, this is some of the most astonishing storytelling I've ever seen. There there are parts of this game that are so gut-wrenching emotionally that I almost had to put down the controller. And because I can't walk right now, kind of drag along the floor and just go <laughs> oh, no. away. Like, like, it is. And I, I almost want to spoil it, but 
just uh, this is the most minor spoiler in the entire world. At some point, your character V is going to be in a situation where they're probably going to die, and you go to this uh, this uh, sex workers uh, like basically a, a, a prostitute shop, right? Um, as part of a mission, and the kind of cyberpunk uh, trick of this mission is they jack into your mind and they tell you your deepest, darkest, uh, they, they fulfill your most intimate desires. And you go in and you're thinking it's just going to be a sex scene like it's been done in a million games. And instead, you're there and the robot starts talking to you about your feelings of dealing with your own mortality yeah. in a just gut-wrenching, emotional way. And it is so profound and so well done to a level that has just not been done in our industry often. And to me, it's really this Faustian deal. Like, am I going to deal with this very, this state where it's very difficult to play to enjoy some of the best gaming content I've ever had? And for me, that answer is, is yes. And I feel like this launch should not undermine what this game is going to be in a few months, which is one of the best things our industry has ever made. I realize people disagree on that, but that's that's my perspective. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I mean, I I haven't spent as much time as you have been playing it. Um, I, I haven't I haven't had a ton of time, unfortunately. But since my uh, vacation is starting very soon, this is what I'm going to be doing with a lot of it. And I, what I've played so far, I agree with you. I think the story is really good. I think that it is unfortunate that the launch and some of the other discourse and and frankly, the launch is kind of hilarious and it's disaster, especially given how how hyped it was. So I can appreciate that. It's just but I, such but a I do terrible set of circumstances. Go honestly, on, go on. Honestly, yeah. the whole thing, it, yeah. it's it's really, it's fitting. Honestly, for I think I think any game that had this level of hype, it would be impossible for it to not either end in disappointment or have some sort of launch catastrophe or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of, we, we needed this. But I, I do agree that I think that what I've played so far is really good. And I do hope that as amusing as the whole launch shenanigans have been for many of us, I hope that it doesn't, um, like, uh, I guess maybe uh, tar or unfairly malign or, or harm the game long term. Because I do think you're right, Brie. I think that this is something that, especially a few months from now, people are going to have different opinions on, and that um, once they, you know, uh, bring it to the next gen consoles officially, once they, you know, uh, next year, you know, if they do bring out multiplayer, as they've been saying they're going to do, I think that this is one of those games that, as you noted, Brie, um, Simone, sorry, uh, with Witcher Three, you know, started out in a very similar, not quite this level, but it did have a, a similar kind of launch scenario, and then wound up being. Uh, critically lauded and, and turned into, you know, a TV show, I, I think in large part, frankly, because of Witcher 3, I think is why ne- was why the Netflix show exists. And so um, I hope that that doesn't happen. Having said that, I do, I, I do want to talk about some of the various things that have gone wrong with this, because so much of it to me seems so preventable. Like, yeah. it's mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. It, it's, you know, we talk a lot about crunch, and I'm not in any way trying to defend crunch because it's bad practice, obviously. And and I don't think that even those of us who have, you know, who've worked jobs and, and careers like, like journalism where you live in a constant state of crunch and you don't get paid very well at all and it just is what it is, that doesn't mean that everybody should have that. And I think that it's a good argument for why, you know, graphics effects work and, and game work should look at maybe being unionized. That said, I think that, you know, the crunch clearly didn't solve the problems here, but my kind of flippant and and I don't really mean this, but my kind of flippant take was that you know a year ago is if they were if they were going to do crunch, they should have started it a year ago because for it to be in the position that it launched in yeah. or the the um, last gen consoles situation to be what it's in for the bugs that shipped to be what they're in after they'd already instituted crunch to me says. You were never going to make your June ship date clearly, which had already been delayed. You were not going to make your November. You really probably shouldn't have made your December. But I do also understand, like, there's a business reality. Like, this is a business. This is a public mm-hmm. company. They have to release a game. They can't just keep putting it off. They have yeah. to release a game. They lost. I don't want to even think about how much money, but it's billions, I'm sure, when the June launch date ship uh, was missed. Because, like, I have the the um, Cyberpunk-themed Xbox um, One X console 
like that was kind of a, you know, ended up being kind of a burned off thing. You know, oh, they had God. other, you know, that they, just they hit had me. Sorry. The, the reality of that situation. Oh, no. Right? That's what I'm saying. So you had those consoles. You had a whole bunch of accessories. You had a bunch of tie in stuff that basically all had to, I think, largely be written off that didn't end up doing anything for you. Uh, you had, you know, uh, not to mention how much ad spend you might have had and, and buys and whatnot. Like they lost a lot of money for each delay. So part of me gets like, OK, you've got to ship the game. But, a, but another part of me is like, OK, where were you in December of 2019 when you were looking at the game? And you you knew in December 2019 you weren't going to hit June. You knew that. So mm-hmm. why either was Crunch not starting then if you really think it would have helped? Or why was the project management so bad on this game that you you know it got as far as it got without some of these basic things being ready for launch? I, I do just want, I, and I 100% agree with everything you just said, Christina. It's completely fair. Um I, I I do think there, and I'm not trying to be an apologist because this is a cluster F, like totally. by far. Um, I'm just saying, like to give a, a complete view here. I agree that Crunch fundamentally is a management failure, um, but I think there there are two issues at play here. This technically, I think a lot of game journalists and a lot of players don't appreciate just how great a technical achievement this is. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking about the stuff like, you know, ray tracing uh, on an RTX card. Um, you know, I played a mission just before the show where, um, you know, we've all done this side mission where you go into an apartment, you sneak in, you go up to the floor. And I was crawling along the outside of the balcony and I was able to look through the window outside and see my motorcycle parked halfway across the map. And I start thinking about that with the level streaming. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's the way this game is put together where it's not just a horizontal space, but it's a massive vertical space that is very explorable. And the maps are, are generally excellent and meaningful. And you get it. It's not just like a sewer level repeated forever. It's like you, learn a sense of where you are. I mean, it's a massive achievement to cram that much stuff into a PlayStation and that many texture maps and that much story. So I can, I am more empathetic that this was, it's not just a normal open world game. It's Mm -hmm. something that pushed the hardware harder than ever before. I also think the other component for this is partially a very, very toxic player base. The the abuse has been hurled at these That's developers since June is stomach turning. I've seen the death threats to the devs, uh, friends of mine, like constantly. It makes my stomach churn. You have a you have a studio that was really put into a no-win situation where they delayed the game twice. It had become an industry joke. Players were angry and abusive, and they had to swear up and down they would ship it in December, and it's still not finished. Agreed. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a non-zero part of why they made this decision. I think it's this one of the things that's so interesting. I, I feel like this situation really pinpoints for me what is so interesting and complicated about game development which is like like you can make a marvel movie and there's a thousand million pieces and we have that process down to a tight schedule and which is not to say that movie schedules and budgets don't sometimes go over time and over budget but those factors are generally pretty accounted for and with game development there are all these kind of x factors like we saw with um uh that amazing thread last week uh, from the coder for the Uber app. Like mm-hmm. there, there are coding, there are things that can happen with code where you can't necessarily project the outcome. You can't predict the the ways in which it's going to behave <laughs> and the ways in which things are going to interact with each other. And Uber app, very different from the video game Cyberpunk 2077. But I think similar principle where people are trying to do things in the mo- in the the best way they know how and the most optimized way they can and there are just certain things with uh with the magical world of video games where it just goes in a direction you don't expect and uh and I think it, it it's it's just kind of speaks to the 
the a struggle I think that this industry is going to continue to have as we have these pie in the sky expectations yeah. of video game performance and graphics. Like it's amazing that you can see your motorcycle from five blocks away. That's a thing that they implemented and it's amazing, but holy cow, maybe if <laughs> the feature creep wasn't so bad, uh, the developers wouldn't be put in this position. Uh, and it's, it's just, I don't, it's, it's very complicated, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, you bring up a great point with movies. Movies do go budget all uh, go, go over budget all the time, and 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 you know there have been over budget films that have taken down film studios. It's not you know mm-hmm. an uncommon thing for for that to happen. Uh, but you're right; it is usually kind of accounted for, and and sometimes. You, but even we saw, you know, this. I can't believe this was still this year, but I guess technically last year. You know, when Cats came out and they were doing patches, yes. you know, to, to, yes. to Cats because the <laughs> because the visual effects was was so bad. Um, and and this kind of reminds me of that to a, to a certain degree. But I, I do think you bring up a great point. And in games, I think what people don't always recognize is that you're talking about a massively, massively complex software project and a motion picture at the same time. It's yeah. both. And and both of those things are very complicated. And you see, you know, regular software projects go over budget and, and over time all the time. And, and that is usually why you know, software developers go into crunch mode, right? Like that is a, that is a known thing when you're trying to, to make your ship dates that you have to make. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I do feel like, um, I don't know, my, my fundamental thing, like, and, and I totally agree with what you're saying, Brie, I just feel like I respect all the work they've done on it. And I also respect that, you know, you need to ship at a certain point, but I do feel like it should have been clear to whoever was project managing this and whoever was like the director of this game, that things were not on the path to where they were hopeful that it would be much, much earlier than it was. And and yeah. I, I and I know from experience what happens with those things is you think you can get ahead, you think you can make mm-hmm. it, but sometimes you just need to be able to call it and go, no, we're not there and it's not going to be there, right? Yeah. And and there are certain projects and, and with certain types of software where you can release it buggy and then it can get better over time and people will forgive it. it it's possible in games and, and there are certain, uh, you know, tons of examples where that's the case. But it is also one of those things where it's kind of like a movie and that you put it out there and that's going to be the first impression people have. I had a question for both of you because the, the thing that kind of jarred me the most, the thing that kind of upset me the most, and, and I'm all in all, I mean, other than finding humor in it, I, I, I try to, I'm trying to be really kind of open and giving, you know, CD Projekt Red the benefit of the doubt in a lot of areas. And I'm trying to be like really compassionate. But the thing that does bug me is that when they send out the review um, copies and, and everybody in the reviews complained of bugs and, and everybody, you know, talked about crashes, it was for PC and they they refused to let anybody play it on console. Yeah. To me, that what should have been a much bigger red flag than it was. But to me, given how poorly it was on like how poor, how poorly it is on the last gen consoles and just for, you know, uh, for, for giggles, I did go ahead and install it on my Xbox um, um, uh, One S. And it's pretty bad, uh, you know, on, on, on the on the One X, uh, which is much more powerful. It does a good job and it, it runs even better um, uh, performance wise, not much, but a little bit better on, on the Series X. Um, and, and it's quite good on that. But I just feel like. You know, their excuses about how testing and other stuff went went by doesn't really I it doesn't really pass the smell test. And and so I'm what kind of does gall me is it's like, okay, you were selling this game knowing that most of your console buyers are going to be using it on last gen. You know this. You've you've tried to do what you can to kind of encourage people to, you know, get it for next gen, but you know that millions of people are gonna be buying this for last gen. How did you think that this level of performance was an acceptable thing to release? Like, how did how did it get to this point where, and, and beyond that, how did you let your reviewers and how did you let your press around the game not let people know in advance when they could have canceled a pre-order? You know, yeah. like, if, yeah. if they'd allowed um, reviewers to test the console version, then people could have canceled pre-orders uh, before the fact, and then they wouldn't be having to have the whole back and forth of, is Sony going to give me my money back or not, right? We wouldn't be having that conversation because customers would have been informed about, hey, you know what? This is not going to be a good experience day one. I'm going to go ahead and cancel my pre-order. 
instead you have a situation where people bought the game, didn't have any insight from anyone, not not the reviewers, not the the studio, no one into what it would be like. And then it turns out to be, you know, I would argue a, a borderline. No, I'm not even going to say borderline. I'm going to say that it's an unacceptable experience for a $70 AAA game uh, right. the way that it was released. Do you know who agrees with you on that, Christina? Uh, CG Project Red. They said as much in their statement, uh, basically guaranteeing, uh, trying their best to refund anyone that was not happy with the performance on consoles. I think that was disingenuous. Honestly, when I when you're talking about CD Projekt Red, I draw a big line between the developers who made this game and the leadership of this company. Um, and certainly the way it was marketed, the way it was portrayed, uh, the spoken about before launch as like this incredible next-gen, vast, towering experience. I think that it, I, I think they're the leadership at this company needs to take full responsibility for releasing something that they must have known was not ready to go out. Um, they must have known Sony and Microsoft are not just going to be like, oh yeah, sure, go ahead and get a refund. They clearly didn't bring that up with those companies. Um, they're like projecting heat onto Sony for not giving refunds mm-hmm. when it is it was their responsibility before launch to, as Christina said, make make people informed. I I I don't I I again I'm not trying to defend. I feel like I'm really putting this weird situation on trying to defend a situation I don't think is defendable. But what I am trying to do is to give perspective here. Sure, which I think is um, good. Um, so I Simone, think through what you just said. I mean. You've got a marketing team at CD Projekt Red, which has friends of mine on it. And I'm not going to speak for them, but that is obviously a different department than the engineering department, right? And I'm I'm sure at some level there was some senior person that knew the state of the PS4 just didn't look as good. I mean, maybe they were just looking at it. I mean, maybe there's not just a, a a grand plan here that they heard it was a bit more stable and it looked better. And of course, you're going to want to give your, your keys away on something that's going to sell the sexiest hardware and look the best. I mean, I, I, I just, I think it's, I, I think it's possible it could be like knowing malice there. To me, it just sounds like normal marketing, uh, people doing their thing. Yeah, I guess I should rephrase like the literal people who work on the marketing team, probably like crafting PR releases and putting out uh, copy and stuff like that and, you know, doing their job. They probably didn't do anything wrong, <laughs> uh, but whoever was giving them their messaging. Yeah, certainly yeah, that's did. my point. Yeah, that, that's my point. I, I don't hold anything against I, I this is all the executive team that I think they should take responsibility for that. But I still fundamentally say like and, and I don't fault the marketing team for doing what they're doing. But I do think you make a good point, Simone, which is that and I think we're both kind of saying this, which is they should have known this in advance so that they could have either had a conversation with Sony and Microsoft and said, OK, we'll be doing refunds. How do we make this work with you? Or as I said, let reviewers have access to it. Let that be known. Make that messaging clear. Then people can, you know, cancel before the game comes out and they're not stuck in this situation that they're in now, which is bad for everyone, where it's, you know, everybody pointing the finger at one another and it's like, okay, but you've got people who have $70 games who are, you know, it doesn't work on their system and and the promise is it'll get better, but the promise is certainly not it's going to be you know, a good experience. And yeah, I don't think that we can, I I want, we should move on, but I I definitely don't think we can underestimate the damage this has done to CD Projekt Red's reputation. They have always had a very consistent reputation. Like despite the Witcher stuff, they've had a really good reputation as a company that takes care of customers because they released a bunch of great free DLC for The Witcher and because they own GOG, which is a storefront that has uh, no DRM. And so they've always had this very consumer-friendly image. And it feels like just in one <laughs> one horribly misguided action of of like trying to pretend to turn a blind eye to this thing, which is the PS4 and Xbox One <laughs> versions of Cyberpunk 2077, they've just totally destroyed that with with a bunch of people, um, which, again, is very sad for the developers who are making the games. And I put complete responsibility, as you said, Christina, on the executive team. And I, I, yes, I, feel, 
I, I, I agree with that. And I, I think there are some people that should resign over, mm-hmm. over this release. I feel very strongly about that. But I think it's sometimes easy to blame other people. And I really feel strongly that the, the, the reaction to this entire situation has been a thousand percent toxic from top to bottom. Yeah. I've seen journalists. I definitely agree with that, that I, because it's just, it's just a game <laughs> on one mm-hmm. level. I think it's a bad year for discourse. It, I, I've seen journalists that I respect tweeting things that are extremist and betray a lack of understanding of a development pipeline, things that are just embarrassingly abrasive. I've seen abusive players saying things of every strike possible. Um, the death threats, I think, are beyond out of control this time. And I I think, I, I just, I think the discourse is fundamentally toxic. Now, I'm going to chalk some of that up to the fact that all of us are stuck in our house and we want <laughs> yeah. a damn game to play. But I think, I think that is it. I think is holding a mirror up to the industry. I've been saying this for a long time. The game industry is remarkably unhealthy. It is mm-hmm. more unhealthy than politics, which I think is a really shocking statement. And I think this cyberpunk discourse has is really underlined to me just how unhealthy the game industry has become. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Perhaps, what would you like to do today? Oh, Simone, I would like to create an online store. No, no, Mm. wait. I want to create a portfolio. No, wait. I want to create a blog. Don't worry, Simone. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't need that stuff. Squarespace has it covered. But Simone, what if I need customer support after all? Well, they have 24-7 customer support if you need help, and it is award-winning. They also let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of their award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas, like where I can host my web series where I I talk to myself about (sighs) Squarespace. (laughs) I help me make Squarespace websites, but you know who helps me more? Squarespace.com itself. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash rocket. And then when you decide to sign up, use the offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. And hey, that shows your support for us here at Rocket. So once again, that is squarespace.com slash rocket and the code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much, Squarespace, for your support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. <laughs> I took You're so good at that. Streets. You're so good at that. Thank you. Yes, I am good at talking to myself. I have to be. Uh, <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> Apple TV time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wait, hang on. Can I have a brief can I have a brief moment? Yes, yes. please. HBO Max is coming yes! confirmed, coming to Roku and PlayStation 5. <laughs> Finally. They I heard yes. me. I was waiting for this actually. I was waiting for this when I saw um uh, this it was breaking news and, and Frank Pilata of CNN when I saw him tweet it and uh I helped Frank get a PS5 and so he had to like delay opening his ps5 because he had to write the the roku and the ps5 news but i was like the only person who will be happier that this story was filed than frank because he'll get to play his his playstation is simone because she'll soon be able to watch hbo max on her ps5 notable hbo max watcher simone de rochefort who almost exclusively owns devices that won't play hbo max When I get back to New York, I can finally put away my PlayStation 4 for good, but never get rid of it because it still has PT on it. But more Hmm. importantly, hey, Ben Smith at the New York Times reports that Apple actually bought a TV show, an Apple Plus TV show about a fictionalized version of Gawker called Scraper, 
uh, written by Gawker Alums, including uh, a wonderful writer who's on the succession team. Sounds great so far. Oh, but wait. Tim Cook was unhappy when he found out about the show and Apple ended up killing it. So this, to me, says a lot about the state of content at Apple. I know there are some shows on Apple TV Plus that we've been happy with. Uh, I have not watched them yet because I I should activate my Apple TV Plus free trial that I got with my iPad. I haven't. I want to watch the morning show. That's what I'm saying. Um, Ted Lasso, you'll love. And I hear... Literally, that's I've heard about this twice this week, and I have no idea what it is. But people love Ted Lasso. No, you're gonna love it. It's the best <laughs> show to come out in 2020, like hands mm-hmm. down. It's the new Good Place. It's the only like wholesome good thing that's happened this year. Oh, it's Ted Lasso. I'll check it out. But point being, this is just such an interesting bit of tension, I think, with Apple TV mm-hmm. Plus because you have good shows on the platform like The Morning Show, which does ruffle some feathers, and like Ted Lasso, which people like. But then you also have this kind of larger history of Apple as a company that is rubbing up against its content creation in a non-sexual way um, <laughs> and a company that is used to having this unified vision and voice and design is kind of butting up against this problem of making content because having a cohesive message for a product launch or for a press conference does not necessarily that that makes it that does those things very well but it does not necessarily make a good narrative um and then you have the personalities getting involved like tim cook so how do we feel about this um you know I, I, I hate to say I told you so, but mm. when when we were talking about Apple TV uh, launching, I go back and play the tape. I, I talked about the real desire that Apple's need for content that would al- align with their values, that that would uh, directly conflict with uh, creative freedom. And I think this is a, a very direct result of this. I do think it's worth saying that Gawker outed Tim Cook as gay. Uh, when he was just not against gay rights, uh, but just not being out publicly, which I think is his own choice. Uh, and I think that was a very journalistically questionable uh, decision to make. And I can understand that vendetta, but I don't think it's right to to crush this show like this. It, it sounds genuinely interesting. For every good show that Apple has put out, uh, like Servant, uh, you have something that's really, really mediocre, like Defending Jacob or Truth Be Told. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's – I think – I think that this pattern of decision making is why Apple is never going to be an HBO because they're not going to take risks. They're going to play it safe. It might be something that you buy uh, to go along with uh, your Apple services, but I never think it's going to be top tier content, just to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I should start with the disclosure that I obviously worked at what you know, uh, I briefly worked for Gawker Media and then I worked at like the vestiges of, of, of Gawker uh, Media, Gizmodo Media Group. Um, I, I've socially met Cord and Max Reed, who were, um, you know, two of the, the writers on the project. I know some other people. Actually, I, I knew Emma um, um, uh, as well. I worked I worked with Emma Carmichael, um, who was also a writer um, on uh, on the show. Um, I But I haven't talked to any of them about this. Um, I will say like, what bothers me about this, there are two things that bother me about this report. One, while there are a lot of people who will say, well, what did you expect? You know, of course, Apple was going to, you know, um, not want to have a show about a company that not, uh, you know, uh, Roman Clough that, that not only was the the uh, publication that that outed Tim Cook, but also I think the, the bigger thing that most people would associate with the, the Gawker sites and Apple is that they leaked the iPhone 4, you know, and that was a, a hugely, hugely, like, deeply upsetting moment within Apple, uh, like very upsetting. So there, there is one of those things where there's like, and there was a many, many year long vendetta there where they did not talk to or associate with people who worked for that publication. And as someone who then went to work for that publication and had a relationship with Apple, I can say like definitively that Apple still was very kind to me, but my relationship with them was not the same. It was, it was markedly different when I, when I switched websites Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, so I think that on the one hand, you can say, well, what did you expect? And what I would say to that is, then why did they buy the show? 
right? Mm-hmm. Like to me, this is the this is the problem. Like this is the sort of show that the way it was being pitched, um, and I'm hoping that they will find you know a home on um, another uh, platform that I think you would probably have a lot of people wanting to bid and buy. But you had someone who bought the show, and then after they are in development, after they've hired writers. It comes from on high, according to this report from from Ben Smith, who I have no reason to doubt, but but I am just saying this hasn't been definitive. This is, you know, as as he's reporting, it comes from on high that says, nope, you know what, we've changed our mind. We don't want this. That's a real problem to me. And and in fact, um, his report says that the the person, the executive that I guess basically bought the show for Apple TV has left the company, which mm-hmm. makes total sense. I would leave too. If I'm going to buy something, you tell me I have the right to buy what I want to buy. You say that we have creative freedoms. You say that we have these liberties. And then when it, when it turns out that I buy a property that you don't like, and it seems from from all appearances, we don't know the inside story, we don't know all the details, but it certainly seems like on the outside, the big thing is that, you know, people at the top have a problem with the company that this is loosely based on for their own personal or, or you know, business-related reasons, that that is going to kill the project. I think that, I think that's a problem. And I think that um, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of it. You don't see, you know, I mean, it would be, you, you saw the Simpsons all the time would criticize the Fox network when they were part of Fox and, and they, they skewered Disney now too. You see John Oliver on, on HBO, he goes after AT&T hardcore, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not uncommon for you to have kind of creators who do that stuff. And so to me, it was one of those things that was, it was a little bit odd when, when Apple bought the project, when that news was released, but I assumed, well, if they bought it, then they must be okay with it. They must actually be letting the creative people run the TV side of the network. And that doesn't appear to be the case. I think that's the problem. The bigger problem, and and Bree, you you mentioned another case that I wanted to kind of bring into this topic too, is that buried kind of within um, Ben Smith's report is that he says, you know, that last year, you know, basically there have been reports that um, Eddie Q basically instructed, you know, creators um, uh, to, um, you know, avoid portraying China in a poor light. And that somebody who basically, um, Ben Smith reported that basically the two things that, that Apple TV will never do are hardcore nudity and China. That, I think, is actually an even bigger problem. Like, I'm personally really bothered by buying a show and then killing it. Like, I think that's actually pretty terrible, uh, especially if it's for the reasons that it appears to be. But I think that the idea that there is some sort of mandate that says we can't portray China in a bad light is deeply, deeply troubling to me. Yeah, there was a there was a story today that we 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 thought about covering in Rocket. We thought this was more important, but it's it's relevant here. Yeah, it's related. Um, you know, so uh, in the game industry, there's a Korean horror game that came out, and that's uh, uh, Taiwanese. Uh, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Taiwanese game uh, came out. Steam took a pass on publishing it. And today, Good Old Games, which happens to be owned by CD Projekt Red, also took a pass on publishing it, even though it's a really good game. It is actually game. more complicated than that. Sorry, can is I it? digress? No, yeah, no, please, 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 please yeah, So it did come out last year for Steam, and it was out for, I think, six days or so. Right. And then, uh, and I actually, I played it, and it's great. Uh, <laughs> I was still able to download it, fortunately. But uh, when uh, basically mainland Chinese audience members found that there was a joke in a, in a poster about uh, the president uh, looking like Winnie the Pooh, there was a mm-hmm. huge campaign against it. So it got taken down off steam and it's been offline right. for a year, right. um, which brings us to the point where we are now when okay. uh, yeah. Gog did say, yeah, we're going to publish it on Friday. And then, all, and then and literally then an next. hour later, they were like, the gamers have spoken and we will right. not publish it. And it's like, okay. <laughs> so and, and sorry about the bad PR. No, no, no. CDPR. Thank you for that context. I think that's really important. But here are two of the the main publishers in, mm-hmm. in our field. And I just, you know, like Sony put out Dead or Alive's uh, Extreme 3, a VR game that very famously um, is a sexual assault simulator. Like I love the Dead or Alive fighting game. This is unbelievably gross stuff. We're an industry routinely on the Nintendo Switch publishes titles that sexualize girls under 14 years old. And we are the industry that published uh, Hatred. Uh, which was a mass mute, uh, mass shooting simulator. Um, and, you know, for every single one of these cases, you have people that stand up and say free speech, free speech, mm-hmm. artistic expression. Okay, if you're going to do that, you got to be consistent with it. Since when are you going to allow that, but you're going to bow down to China because yep. there's the business realities. A, a very mild joke 
mm-hmm. about uh, comparing the president to looking like Winnie the Pooh. I mean, just be honest and say you're in it for the money and you're going to make decisions that will make you the most money, including uh, selling content with underage girls in uncomfortable situations. Just be honest about that and don't stand to beat your chest about free speech, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think that what bothers me um, also with the Apple thing and, and, and Louis Mantia pointed this out on Twitter is that there's a report that Apple might be buying for, you know, like a digital distribution. Um, apparently, the stuff would go to, to streamers first, two films from uh, John Lasseter's uh, 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 company that he's working for now. Mm-hmm. And and John Lasseter, you know, is one of the founders of Pixar and, and a very important person, but he was forced out of Disney for, you know, um, some, some kind of upsetting reasons. And I, I'm The way that it seems to me, you don't leave the way that he left if there there wasn't more to it than what was reported. And that's all I'm saying about that. I don't know anything, but that's just how that looks. But yeah. he certainly was somebody who, when he was hired by um, Skydance Animation, people quit. And now they're talking about, okay, well, we're going to buy those films. Okay, so you can't do something about that that's loosely based on, on Gawker. And they you know, we don't even know, as John Gruber pointed out in, in his story about this, we don't even know how it would have portrayed things. That seems pretty thin-skinned at the best. But yet you have no problem potentially talking about giving millions and millions of dollars to someone that had to leave Disney for a reason um, and, and that, you know, had, had has a lot of problems. Like that, to me, doesn't stack up. And and to your point, Bree, yeah, I feel like if the if the, – like – Apple's kind of, you know, talking out of both sides of its mouth, the uh, way that it works about China is a problem. And I do have to say, I was talking with Renee Ritchie, our friend Renee Ritchie, um, uh, yesterday about some of this stuff. And I mentioned to him, uh, and other people pointed this out too, that not to say that it's unprecedented that studios don't make very personal decisions about what they will and won't do. And the same thing with, with game publishers. But it does seem like this is a unique thing where, in, in both of these cases, where you agree to do something and then you turn around and you're like, nope, not going to do it. And and I think that we should all be bothered by that, right? Like, mm-hmm. there was no reason that Gawker, or excuse me, there's no reason Apple had to buy the Gawker show. In fact, they probably were not the best choice for it for a lot of reasons, but they did. And then when you get rid of it, it's not like it's going to be so easy for this same group of people to be able to reform and make the show somewhere else. Turnaround, most projects never come out of turnaround, right? For every money ball, there are a million other examples where it just falls off. And and, and, you know, that's why typically, like, you don't want this to happen. The same thing with, with, with you know, Steam gets rid of the game and Steam is Steam, right? It's sorry. fine. But point of, sorry, I was actually just checking up on it. It is the developer who initially removed it from Steam to okay. correct, to take out this reference. I do not know why it hasn't, why they haven't decided, if, if it was their decision to not put it back on Steam or if Steam was like, no, sure. Thank you. Okay. Well, wh- um, well what I yeah. was going to say, well, thank you for the patient. But what I was going to say is that I don't actually, you know, Steam stuff seemed to me has never really held itself up to be this, you know, like a high moral anything, whatever. So if they want to be arbitrary, fine. But I'm really bothered by by Gog doing this by saying, yeah, we will publish this. And then an hour later being like, no, yeah, we're like, sorry. Did they but they not the, know? The, the, like this that's was saying <laughs> we were all making fun of this again i think john oliver made fun of the the bear thing like this was a known meme right like mm-hmm. yeah like and i just have to feel like you, you knew what you're getting into and if you're gonna it it reminds me we talked about this when it happened with the nba stuff right people rightly got really angry with the nba for kowtowing to china and and looking at firing people who who made comments in support of hong kong right people were understandably very upset about that um i don't understand how this you know, a similar kowtowing, whether it's by, uh, you know, people who are making TV shows or by people who are publishing video games should be treated any differently. Yeah, I do. I do wonder now that we are kind of holding these two instances up beside each other, if it weren't a similar situation, I have no like basis in fact for this, but if it were a situation where somebody in content was like, that's a good product, I'd like it on our platform. And then when the storm kicks off, somebody who's like on the money mm-hmm. and management side is like, oh, we did what now? Right. No, thank you. And like, <laughs> and then in the bash it. Yeah. And that's very possible. What I would say to that, that's really bad leadership. Yeah. I like the way that the direction of this conversation is gone because I, to me, like the, the Gawker TV show is like the sexy headline, but the, that's not the most interesting issue here. You know, it's kind of just like a symptom of, I think, a larger. A larger happening uh, with 
Apple and apparently with uh, GOG <laughs> to separate companies that are in a weirdly similar situation right now. Um, but yeah, yeah, like my, my feelings on this, I think you guys have said everything perfectly. My feelings on this specific instance are, I, I agree with you definitely, Christina, that like if somebody bought the show, it, it does feel weird to me to have the head of like a totally different <laughs> department, even if he is the CEO of the company, mm -hmm. be like, uh-uh. <laughs> um, even though I am I completely agree that like outing Tim Cook in Gawker was bad news. Why do that? I don't think it was a good decision. I think it was a bad one. But anyway, um in terms of just like Apple's in terms of the TV that Apple clearly wants to make, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That they're like they are not into violence and nudity. I think that's totally okay. Disney isn't either. Um, and they still make The Mandalorian, a cool Star Wars show that everyone loves. Um, I just I just think this feels like such a mismatch for them all the way down, you know, where it's like we don't do like really controversial things, even though I would argue the morning show is a bit controversial. But, yeah, we're mm -hmm. going to make a show about a Gawker analog. <laughs> right. Like, ugh, I, there is just some kind of miscommunication there in the background, huh? Right, which to me says either you're going to actually trust your your people in your entertainment division or you're not. Yeah, and, exactly. And, I, and to Bree's point, I do think that when you don't have that trust and when you're going to micromanage this way, and that's what this is, this is micromanagement, uh, yeah, I do think that it's going to prevent you from ever having your Game of Thrones or your House of Cards, um, yep. uh, you know, or, or whatever your breakout hit is going to be that's going to win you all the awards and the critical acclaim. Exactly. All right, time for dessert. <laughs> yes yay uh the greatest thing that has ever happened happened mm -hmm. <laughs> which is that taylor swift was like hey remember the extremely good album that i put out this past summer where i just like got real down and dirty with some folksy music and bonnie Vare and <laughs> the national i'm doing it again um this same year and it's coming out at midnight on friday peace out everyone and then she dropped an album, another a second album this year, full of songs that slap. It's called Evermore. Um, Christina and I lost our minds. Mm -hmm. It's very good. And that's how I feel about it. <laughs> Thanks. Show over. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> I will. Uh, no dissenting opinions allowed. No, I was going to say, have you listened to it at all, Bree? There's actually more songs in this one that you would like than there are on Evermore. It's still not your type of music, or on folklore. It's still not your type of music, but there are more songs that you would like. You know, if it's not EDM or, or, or you know, punk or it's just not my thing, y'all. No, I know, I know. I think and you I would like closure. You. You would like closure, and you would you would probably like long story short. I think closure you All would right. dig, would but, she? but those are those are the only two. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Simone, what's your favorite song? What what track have you been listening to the most? Because you've been texting me about this in a way I was not <laughs> expecting from you, and <laughs> I've been very excited list. by it. So I really please. like the like uh, off brand Dixie Chicks song. Yeah, um, nobody, no crime. Yes. Um. Oh my God. Sorry, I'm dealing with Spotify. Willow, I adore. Mm -hmm. I, it is just it's so moody uh do not switch audio to my airpods what are you doing <sighs> skype <laughs> um yeah no body no crime is wonderful willow is just so dreamy and beautiful um i did like of course lose my mind at evermore feet mm -hmm. bonnie Vare. uh it, it made me very sad in the middle of the night and then uh, Marjorie, the song about her grandmother, is just... Uh, Do not watch the lyric video unless you want to cry, is all I I'm won't. saying. Thank you. <laughs> it's wonderful, you, but you'll cry. God, yeah, I like all of those. Uh, Willow, I think, is her first good lead single in, like, years, because she usually doesn't pick really strong first singles. Um, you know, Shake It Off is a huge hit. I didn't think it was the strongest, mm -hmm. you know, song from that album at all. Blank Space was much stronger. Uh, the uh, Look What You Made Look What You Made Me Do was good for what it was uh, accomplishing, but it certainly wasn't the strongest off that record. Um, and uh, uh, you know, um, Me is a disaster song and and lead single off of Lover. Um, and I and I didn't love. I mean, I liked Cardigan just fine, but it also wasn't the strongest. Willow is really strong, and, and I really mm -hmm. like that. Evermore, as you mentioned, really, really good. I love um, Champagne Problems. That is one of my favorites. Um, I, I love, uh, yeah, Marjorie, you cry. Like, basically, like, I looked down. I ended up, I think, 
uh, liking every single song except for uh, – which one did I, did I not like give a like was was a uh, Dorothea, which I like, but it just was the only one that didn't like earn like a heart for me. And, and that's on Spotify. I think on Apple music, I might've loved all the tracks. So that <laughs> says a lot. You were in a different emotional place when you were on Apple music. Yeah. Apple music is when I listened to it first. Um, and, and whenever more like the, this is so halfway through the track, it's the last track on the album, halfway through that, like uh, Bon Iver comes in and when he did, and, and people were telling me on Twitter, they're like, just wait for it, wait for it. And when it came, because I was waiting for him to come in and when he came in and the way that it, it switched tempo, like like a Sufjan Stevens song and like it just like totally like went different directions. Like I literally almost teared up and like got so excited and smiling. Like I took photos and posted on Twitter and I sent you an especially blurry you sent one me a that like really showed cute photo. Yeah. I sent you one that was literally that I like had to capture my emotions as it was happening, which I've never done before because I was like, I- I'm feeling so many things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It made me feel a lot of things. And it's just like, thank you for releasing two good winter themed albums yes. this year. They f- they sound like sweaters. I know one they of the do. songs is literally called Cardigan. I'm not trying to be clever. It's no, just I know. nice. It's nice. My uh, my mother in law actually got me the cardigan. I don't think I told you guys how sweet was that. She didn't. Ooh. She did it all on her own too. Like she, it was the sweetest thing. She got it for me, and I was I was like so touched by that. Um, she won't. She'll never listen to this, so this is fine. She's not the best gift giver usually. Like we all kind of like make fun of. Like you know, she, you know, you always have that relative who like gives like the the, the tacky kind of bad gifts or whatever she's ours and um this was such a thoughtful and like perfect gift and i hadn't bought it like i bought a bunch of hoodies and stuff but i was like i'm not gonna buy the card again but that's cool but the fact that that she got it for me i was like really touched by so um thank thank you uh thank you mo for that but um yeah uh have you seen uh on uh, disney plus did you watch the the long pond studio sessions i haven't watched it yet i need to i'm a fool for not doing it okay all right Find find some time like this while you're in Washington. Um, hopefully this weekend to do it because a you'll love it. B um, you're gonna be feeling the only thing I want now, and I know that Taylor Swift has already given us so much, and and I hate <laughs> to ask for anything more, but now I need a version of that forevermore, and then I'll feel like really fulfilled. Oh, I hope that they do. I what if <laughs> Galaxy Brain here. <laughs> what if they filmed one at the same time that they filmed the one for Folklore and they're editing it right now? <laughs> I mean, I would love that. I don't think that they'd started um I don't think they'd finished the album yet. No. But yeah, cuz that's well. the interesting thing with this is that I thought I figured it was leftovers. They weren't leftovers. This was all new stuff that she wrote after Folklore came out. Mhm. Mhm. So marvelous. So, um, we're sorry to we're sorry to exclude you from this, Brie. But again, no, no, I do no. think I, I do think you'll like uh, you'll like the song um, "Closure." It's it's a uh, got kind of an up tempo kind of like beat. Like it's not something you'd listen to regularly, but I think that that would be one that because it's more like her, that's the most 1989 of all the tracks. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm just the mom drinking some wine, watching the kids have a birthday party. <laughs> that's where I am. <laughs> you are, and it's beautiful. Uh, yes. I do appreciate two things. Um, one. That her that folklore has what is definitely a reference to the sun also rises in it, and then this mm-hmm. album has a reference to the Greek Gatsby. So, yep, uh, Miss Swift is very much targeting my demographic. Yeah, yeah, thirty she year loves- olds who love dead white men. I was gonna say she she freaking loves Great Gatsby. Like she's referenced Fitzgerald a few times. Like she loves that book. That makes a lot of sense considering her whole uh, East Coast Aesthetic. beach house vibe. Um, and then two, I just want to congratulate Taylor Swift for having probably the most successful 2020 of mm-hmm. anyone. Like imagining, imagine being so creative and in a, a productive emotional place to produce two <laughs> excellent but devastating albums this right. year. No, I, I can't imagine. Also, she's like going through the process now of re-recording all of her old music. Oh which um, they're on Apple Music right now. There's like an hour-long interview. They put it on YouTube, actually, which good Ooh. on them, with uh, that she did with Zane Lowe, where she goes into a bunch of stuff. And it's actually, if you're interested in songwriting stuff, uh, actually, you you would you might dig that aspect of it, Brie. Um, oh, it, yeah. This yeah, whole so, drama is amazing to watch. Yeah, but but, but watching, um, l- like just hearing her talk with Zane Lowe about her process of creating and whatnot was really interesting. And she talked a little bit about how she's been re-recording some of the songs. There are no dates on it yet, but... 
I mean, we're all hoping, right? Like that, mm-hmm. that sooner rather than later that will come out because the master's drama is, as you said, just uh, endlessly fascinating. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to yeah, put that in the that? show notes as well. Thank you for drawing that to my attention because I had not heard about that. Yeah, it came out, I think, last night. And then because I don't sleep sometimes, like I anyway, I, I watched it today and I was very I was very impressed. So nice. All right. Well, uh, hey, let's talk about I just muted my computer because <laughs> I'm on YouTube. <laughs> Whoopsie. Uh, let's talk about what we're doing this week. Uh, Brianna, what are you doing this week and how is that knee? Oh, thank you for asking. Uh, I am able to stand <laughs> on both feet and uh, hold the weight on it. Uh, I can't walk, obviously, but I can also bend my knee 30 degrees, which is very exciting for me. I have a disability hack where I figured out that I could stand on one foot and then I could like rotate my good foot side to side and then scoot slowly sideways across the house without my crutches. So I want anyone out there in the audience with the disability, tell me your disability hacks because I think this is really interesting. Uh, As far as uh, the rest of everything, Everything. Uh, I'm feeling good enough to be back at work. Uh, we got 20 uh, weeks to win Georgia. Uh, you know, the Senate, uh, the last I looked, the bill that was on the table was to give people uh, that have not had a job because of COVID a measly $600, which is a damned insult. <laughs> so it's really <laughs> important we get out there and vote in Georgia and uh, you know, make sure we have a different leadership in the United States. So that's what I'm doing. And a big shout out to the Electoral College also this week. (laughs) Uh, It's the third time this election has ended since it started. Uh, Christina, what are you doing? Uh, Yeah, so um, I think like I I have a couple of meetings uh, for the rest of the week, but I'm basically done with work for the rest of the year. So I'm I'm taking some some much mandated, uh, like corporate mandated days off because uh, they were like, if you don't use all this vacation time, you're you're going to lose it. And I'm like, Ooh, how much do I have? And they were like 90 hours. And I was like, wait, what? So yeah. So I'm, I'm done for, uh, for the rest of the year. Uh, so I'm going to be cleaning, um, for real. I, I think that maybe the not working thing will maybe give me some like relieved anxiety from that and, uh, playing, uh, playing my, playing my consoles, man, playing my games, listening to my T Swift. And, and that's, uh, that's about it. How many hit albums are you planning to write during your end of your vacation? <sighs> Four? No. Uh, oh, yeah. Nice, nice. Seems yeah. reasonable. But, but, I, but maybe I will finally get like my my website redone. Like maybe that that's Ooh. my stretch goal. Because if that's, that's the case, then I could start. Then, then I could start writing hit articles. Oh heck yeah! All right. Um, I am enjoying my time here in Washington. I uh, just left quarantine. Actually, uh, I got tested on Friday, which was my tenth f- f- day. 12th day i don't remember um and i'm out i'm free baby (laughs) um to stay in my home (laughs) um yes so i'm just spending time with my mom and uh continuing to work hopefully i'll be publishing a video soon on liquid shaders but we're just waiting for some paperwork to get sorted there but i am so so excited for this to be shown oh what i did haha update the charity stream went really, really well. We Yay! raised one hundred and twenty thousand uh, dollars, which is wild. In retrospect, awesome. and I think we knew this. Our, our minimum, like our our first goal, was ten thousand. Comically low, foolish. Um, but I don't think any of us expected it to go as high as it did. Uh, and we are just unbelievably happy with how that went, and all very tired, but also like very high on the success of that whole stream and everyone was so nice and people like stayed up for hours and hours longer than they should have to watch it. Um, and we all stayed up for hours and hours longer than we should have putting it together. So I'm just so, I'm so pleased with how that came out. Yeah. It was all over my Twitter, Simone. Like I, everybody, just everybody was talking about it, not just Polygon reporters. So you should feel very proud of that. Thank you. That makes me so happy. I'm proud of both of you for raising money for good things. So, <laughs> yay. Yay. Uh, hopefully we can do it again next year. Um, okay. Well, hey, uh, Brianna, where can we find you online? 
Uh, you can find me online at Brianna Wu on Twitter. And, uh, you know, we've only got 20 days left in this election. So if you want to help us out win, you can go to helptherebellion.com. Uh, you know, this is the big push bef- b- before the end. Uh, so we could sure use some help over there. All right. And Christina, what about you? Yeah, um, you can find me at helptherebellion.com. And I'm, I'm just giving that another plug because honestly, no, I think it's really, really important. Um, because Great, this your is home like a, state turning blue. That would be I know. awesome. It would yeah. be amazing. And and I, I've already given um, money, out, but I'm going to be giving more money before the end of the year because, you know, this is this is really important. Get out there and vote if you are able to vote in Georgia. Uh, this is awesome. We have 50 awesome. volunteers working there, Christina. We have 50, almost 50 volunteers out there. Kansas That's awesome. Texas. I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I, Adam Lissagoran Sandwich uh, uh, made a, a great um, uh, video this week about it. Like, this is just really good stuff. Just get out there and vote. Uh, but you can find me online at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. You can mine the videos that I do at work at youtube.com slash Microsoft Developer. And you can listen to all of my albums by looking for Taylor Swift on Spotify or <laughs> Apple Music or Tidal or whatever the case may be. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, hey, you can find me at youtube.com slash polygon and also at Doom Quasar on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you will no longer find me on Twitch until our next stream, which we're not doing this week. <laughs> <laughs> we're all like, yeah, let's take the week off. Um, yeah. And hey, you can also find me on this podcast, Rocket. And you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. And on the podcatcher of your choice, you can probably leave a review or a star rating, whatever you like. Um, and then that helps other people who are also on the podcatcher of your choice to find the podcast. It's cool. It's so great. Um, and thank you to everyone who does that. <laughs> hey, this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs>